Figured you wanted to see that too, so I'd wait for a minute. You know, when I was a little boy, and I think I've told you this before, that I used to do things to drive my mother crazy. You know, things like running through the house screaming like a wild man or jumping on the beds or jumping on the furniture. You know, Superman, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound or two or three or four. And when I wasn't doing that, I would ask her a bazillion questions. She'd be finishing up the breakfast dishes and I would walk up and say, I'm hungry, what's for lunch? Or what would happen if my imaginary horse pooped in the living room? Or why is the sky blue? Where does the sun go at night? Where's dad? And when my mother finally had enough, she would turn to me and she'd say, Kim, you're like a bad penny. You keep showing up. And maybe you're familiar with that 18th century proverb that says an unwanted event just keeps happening. But I tell you that story today to say, good morning, Crosswinds Church, I'm back. <laughs> so most of you, I think, in here know me. I'm Kim. I've been on the ministry team here for a few years, but um, a couple years ago, I think, you know, the, some of the things that make you go away is, is love. And I've, I met a wonderful woman who lives in West Virginia. And almost 11 months ago now, we were married here in this church. And um, I moved with her to West Virginia. So I am now the um, director of wildlife management and the chief discipler of our Huntington Street campus. Or Hunt, or, I'm sorry, our Wilkins Street campus in Huntington, West Virginia, which is in Cabell County. And that's about 40 miles to the west of the capital city of Charleston in, help me Trish, Kanawha County. <laughs> Kanawha County, Kanawha. I'm learning to speak West Virginian. I just haven't mastered reading it quite yet, so I'm working on it. So the last time I was here was May 1st to preach, and um, it's an easy date for me to remember. I love May Day because... It's usually a beautiful day in the middle of the spring, which um, gives you hope that summer's coming. It's also my granddaughter's birthday, so it was easy to remember. And so when Pastor Ken called and said, hey, I have a few dates I need a substitute for, he showed me his dates, and I saw September 11th, and I said, I want to do September 11th. It is a sad day in American history when two jets, two jetliners, crashed into the World Trade Center Tower in New York. One hit the Pentagon. Another crash landed in um, Pennsylvania, just short of its target, which they believe was Washington, D.C., and either the Capitol or the White House. And I remember where I was on September 11, 2001. I was sitting in the lobby of a hotel in Flagstaff, Arizona, reading a newspaper, and I was waiting for my consulting partner to come down and so we could go to the job site at Northern, Ari Northern Arizona University. And Suzanne was usually early, so she was unusually late today. And When she finally came down, she said to me, you don't know what's going on, do you? And I'm thinking, well, I've been reading yesterday's news. I haven't quite got into today yet. So, And she took me in front of a TV in um, the lobby of the hotel, and I watched a video of a 
jetliner crashing into the towers. And I can tell you it was devastating. But you know, there was a time after that happened that um, it seemed the American people rallied around one another. We cared about one another. We became good neighbors, at least for a while. So today, I'd like to take just a moment of silence, and maybe you can reflect on where you were on September 11, 2001, if anywhere, as I'm looking at some of the kids in the, in the audience. But reflect maybe on where you were. Think about the near 3,000 people that were lost their lives that day and the families who never had the opportunity to see them again. And after the moment is over, I'll say a little prayer and we'll move on. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the freedoms that you give us to be able to stand in your house today and worship. Lord, we just also thank you for the people who serve and have served in the military that protect those freedoms that we have. And Lord, we just ask that you be with the families of the near 3,000 people that were killed or lost their lives on the, on the day of September 11, 2001. And Lord, we just ask that you be with them and you honor the memory of those who passed. And, and Lord, we just um, thank you again for this day. And, and I just ask that you give me the words to help maybe all of us see what a good neighbor is today and, uh, and that we carry on and that we go out today and, and bless each other. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, about a month ago, I started writing this sermon and of course, when you get started on one, you start looking for inspiration and direction, and it always seems to hard, be hard to come by. And as I just got started, I got a text from a good friend, and we had been praying for her uncle who had cancer and was in hospice care, and she texted me that morning and told me that he had died earlier in the morning, passed away earlier in the morning. And I wrote her a text back, and I said I was sorry, and, and I said... You know, it's funny, I've been sitting here stewing over a sermon I have to write for September, and you're going through all this. Somehow it just doesn't seem fair. And she wrote me back, and she says, it's not about fair. We all have our challenges, and they are not always the same size, but a good thing to have is perspective. And then she went on to say, I'll pray for the, the Lord inspire you to have a meaningful sermon. And before I could respond to her again, she wrote back, she said, God is good and merciful, even in what we feel is dark times. And I thought, wow, there's my inspiration. You know, if you don't remember anything else that I say in the next few minutes, I'd like you to remember just that thought, that our God is good and merciful even in dark times. No matter how hard it was for you to get into this church this morning, no matter what your life is dealing you right now, 
no matter how you feel about our political climate, no matter what you feel about how things are going in the world, please always remember that our God is good and merciful, even when we feel his darkest times. Amen? Amen. Amen. And our God is good because he showed Trish and I when we went back to home to West Virginia on May 1st or after May 1st, he was good and merciful to us because he showed us a lot of things, how we could serve him and be part of God's life. And some of it, I have to admit, was confusing, like some friends invited us to attend a different church for Mother's Day. And as it turns out, the pastor of the church started a four-week sermon series called Becoming a Contagious Christian which was written, the, it was, it's based on a book written by a couple guys um, from a little church up north of here, uh, Willow Creek, Willow Creek, that's it. And so it, it prompted Trish and I to start reading the book. And then Ken suggested that we read a book called The Parable Church, and another friend said, hey, there's this book called One at a Time by Kyle Edelman, you need to, to take a look at that. But my true aha moment for writing this sermon came when Trish and I decided to start attending a Tuesday night Bible study group. And the first night we went to the group, they were studying the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it comes from Luke 10, 25 through 37. And it reads, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You know, some interesting things about this parable. First of all, Jesus knew that this guy was a teacher of the law, or a lawyer, as they call him. And Jesus knew that he was there to challenge because all the Pharisees, Sadducees, and everybody else were standing around, all the Jewish-type people were standing around listening for this answer that Jesus was about to give. But Jesus put the onus back on the lawyer. He says, what do you think it is? You read the law. And the lawyer answered, and he says, you have answered correctly. So now you can feel all of his Jewish friends standing behind him, probably giving him the loser sign, because 
He didn't allow Jesus to answer the question, so he couldn't trick him. So now he has to save face, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? Really? (laughs) Really? You have to save face with that question? Jesus must have thought, gee, this is very easy. This is too easy, in fact. You know, it reminded me, I had a friend, um, when I was in high school, I used to hang out with that popular group called the Geeks and the Nerds. (laughs) And the, the smartest kid in our class, the valedictorian, hung out with us. And Rod was great. He was aces if you put him in the classroom with a textbook. He could do anything. But when we put him out on the street, I don't think he could find his way out of a paper sack. But, you know, his life is life, I guess. And the interesting part of this story is that Jesus is telling the story with all the Jewish people standing around. And Jews hated Samaritan with a passion. And I mean hated with a capital H. And so the chief priests and, and the teachers of the law were probably not pleased that the star of this little story was a Samaritan. And when we were in our Tuesday night class, the question was asked, what would you do if you came across this guy laying in the road, half dead and bloody? And most of the answers came back, well, I've never been in that situation before. Oh, you can imagine how Mr. Congeniality dealt with that, you know? My hand went up immediately. I said, oh, you have. Yes, you have. Sure you have. I said, think about this. Think about a new person that you've never seen or met before walks in those doors in this church. What happens? Well, we start and we assess them from the top of their head down to the bottom of their feet. And from that assessment, we can determine their socioeconomic status, their intelligence, the type of work they might do, and the ability they have to maintain a conversation with us. What we can't seem to assess is the depth of their spirituality, the relationship they may or may not have with God. Are they hurting in any way? Or maybe they're just here to seek Jesus and looking for a good neighbor to help them. You know, we always look for the differences in someone before we look at the similarities. It's hard to be a good neighbor when you do that. In fact, the guys who wrote Becoming a Contagious Christian said, It's not uncommon for people like me and maybe like you to fall prey to similar value judgments. We tend to make armchair assessments of who God has use for and who he doesn't. And before we know it, we reduced our mental list of those God really cares about to our own little group of select people who happen to look like us. The list almost never includes the people out there who aren't part of the church And I'd have to add, and probably not people who are close family members or in our social group either. But you know, to Jesus, everyone mattered. So it starts to beg the question, what does it look like to be a contagious Christian or a good neighbor? Sorry, I'm a little warm today, but I'll get over it. Our friends, again, from uh, Willow Creek, in their book, the Contagious, Becoming a Contagious Christian, developed a formula, and it looks like this. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. And you're all looking at me like I have two heads. Because <laughs> nobody told you today there was math involved, right? <laughs> so let me give it to you in layman's terms. Next slide. There we go. HP equals high potency. 
you add high potency to close proximity and also clear communication, you get maximum impact. And maximum impact is the formula, that, or it's the strategy, or the, this is the formula that, that is God's strategy for reaching spiritually lost people. And maximum impact is to have the greatest spiritual influence possible on those around us. As Acts 1.8 says, we are to be his witness, empowered by his spirit to reach people near and far. And to reach that maximum impact, the first thing we need is high potency. And at the risk of boring you with definitions, high potency is a strong enough concentration of Christ's influence in our lives that his power and presence will be undeniable to others. You know, who do you think fit that description in the parable of, of the Good Samaritan? You know, who had Christ's influence in their lives so that the power and presence was undeniable to others? Where does high potency come from? Well, it comes from reading and, and, and feeding on the truth of the Bible. It comes from praying and being on your knees in prayer. It comes from rubbing shoulders with other contagious Christians. It comes from being aware and available and helping others when they're struggling. It's, it's to actively share your faith with others and even experiencing the success and failures that comes along with that. It's what Matthew says makes you the salt of the earth and the, the light of the world. So the next Bible study after the Good Samaritan we did was a Francis Chan study. I don't know if you know Francis Chan. He's a preacher, teacher, author, uh, very good, very well respected. And he did a six-week study called Jesus' Farewell Message. And it's based on chapters, John chapters 13 through 17, which were Jesus' last day on earth. If you read chapter 13, they're in the upper room. He and the disciples are in the upper room, and he washes the, the disciples' feet. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to continue to believe even after his death. And I forgot, there's a little smaller formula that I forgot to give you. It says, Kim equals good neighbor. Because I'm taking a four-week sermon series and a six-week Bible study, and I'm condensing them down into the few minutes that I have left. So <laughs> you can thank me later for that. So the way this starts out is that Jesus is asking us to abide in him. I had to make sure I was in the right place here. And in John 5 through 15, he's showing us high potency. So he's asking us to abide in him, and he says, and, and abide means adhere to, comply with, conform to, follow, obey, or observe. Or biblically, it means believing that Christ is God's son, receiving him as your Savior and Lord, continuing to believe in the good news, and relating to the love, relating that love to the community of believers. So I'm going to read the verses, but a couple at a time, and then kind of talk about them in between. Verses 5 and 6 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned, bearing fruit. What does that mean? Think, think fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think good deeds. Think praise. 
think answered prayer. Or if you're into the all-knowing and all-seeing Google, it's the outward actions that result from the inward condition of a person's heart. Again, the outward actions that result in the inward condition of a person's heart. Think the Good Samaritan. The outward actions from the inward condition of his heart, which was compassion. He showed compassion, and he helped the man. I suppose you could talk about the priest and the Levite, but as they say, as goes your heart, as goes you, and if you have a bad heart, it doesn't work. And of course, if you're unproductive, you don't bear fruit, and the branches are cut off. But if you are productive, then your branches are just cut back to promote more growth. It's God's way of strengthening our character and faith to produce more fruit. Verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish for, and it will be done for you by my Father. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know, Jesus tells us that the only way to have a truly good life is to stay close to him. And when the vine produces much fruit, God is glorified. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Can you imagine the amount of love that God the Father would have for his son Jesus? I mean, I see some parental love happening out here, but I, I can't imagine it even comes close to what that kind of love that God has for Jesus. And in verse 10 and 11 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Doesn't it seem unreal too that we have a God who cares about our joy? And God wants us to be with him and know his love and the joy of living with Jesus Christ daily will keep us level-headed and make it easy to walk through adversity. Verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He's not saying, love your neighbor as yourselves. We know how the, the Levite and the priest loved their neighbor as themselves. They walked right by. But he's saying, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And there is no greater love. And you don't have to show the sacrificial love by dying. You can do it just by being a good neighbor to those who might be struggling and, and listen and encourage and, and just share the good news. You know, in the book, The Parable Church that Ken shared with us, I didn't know this, but there are 37, Jesus taught by parables, and there are 37 parables in the Bible. I didn't know that before. Found that out. And if you want to know Jesus' love, he sat down with a group of people, and he talked about the parable of the sower. We all know the parable of the sower. The sower goes out, he spreads seeds, and it lands on different kinds of soil. But just so we're clear, the sower is actually the person who is spreading the word, spreading the good news. And biblically, God's assignment for 
for the sower is to be all of us that believe in the kingdom. Okay? So we're all sowers. And of course, the seed is the good news. And the soil is the heart of the people. So he spreads the good news, he spreads the word, and it lands on hard soil, meaning that anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away and has what has been sown in his heart. Think of a person who just reads the Bible and reads the words like it's a poem. Oh, the, they flowed. The iambic pentameter was so great. But they really don't have a grasp of what the words really mean. And the seeds, the evil one comes and takes them away. There's rocky soil. The one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. Think of someone reading the Bible and understands the word, but not enough to be able to defend the word. So that when he falls, when the evil one comes, he falls away. Basically, if we've been in that situation, we probably ran away to try and get away as fast as we can. And then there's the soil among the thorns and the weeds. It's the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You know, think of the days that we have issues where, you know, maybe some of you are sitting here today saying, well, I, I have to drop Sally off at soccer and Johnny's going to a birthday party. You know, you're amongst the thorns and the weeds. You're not following the words of the Bible. You're not not staying with it. And of course, there's the good soil. The one who hears the word understands it and bears, the thru- bears fruit. And we think that only the good soil needs to hear the gospel. The rest of these are bad soil. Okay? But all soil. I mean, think about this. Maybe you have come in. Maybe you're the hard soil today. Maybe you're the rocky soil. Maybe you're the thorny and weedy soil today. Don't you deserve to hear the gospel? Don't you deserve to hear it? And doesn't everybody, no matter what their soil is, deserve to hear that, the word? We think the other soils are bad. And they, but really, they need to hear the gospel even more. You know, the truth that actually changes lives is that the seeds of the gospel always work. The real work is in the dirt. The soil of every person is not the same. We have different backgrounds. We come from different places. So our primary energy should be spent helping to turn the soil and soften it up, helping remove the rocks, pull the weeds. We should be preparing the soil of everyone's heart to receive and sustain the seeds of God's word. And the work really has to come from people like us who have, have experienced brokenness, who have stories to tell, salvation stories to tell, to make it seem like it's coming from real people. As Joe Aldridge, who wrote Lifestyle Evangelism, Evangelism, has said, or it's been said, Christians are to be good news before they share the good news. So if we are good news and are ready to share the good news, so we have high proximity, so the next element we need to share is close proximity. In his book, um, in Edelman's book, uh, One at a Time, he talks about proximity, and he tells a story of a woman 
who has, um, she's an elderly woman, and, and with her church group, like the group today, only she went on a mission trip to the Skid Row area of South Central Los Angeles. Skid Row is just a dangerous place in itself, if you're not aware of it. Think South Side of Chicago, some of the worst places there. But she went on this mission trip, and she got separated from her crew, and she got lost. And she's walking down an alley that was known for high gang activity. And as she's going down this alley, this big dude with gang tattoos and chains and piercings all over is walking towards her. I know if this was you and I, we'd be going in this direction as fast as our little legs could take us. But this woman was undaunted. She walked directly up to him. She says, hi, are you hungry? And he's taken back and he kind of shakes his head. She says, well, I'm lost and if you help me, I know a place we can get some food. This proximity turns out to be a divine appointment because she took him to a, a ministry called the Dream Center who does good things for needy people. And this guy got involved in their food ministry and helped provide food for the needy people in the area. <clears throat> you know, repeating what Jesus said in, in verse 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay? Jesus loves puts others' needs before our own. He's the kind of love that considers others better than ourselves. And he doesn't insist on his own way or keep a record of wrongs. You know, Jesus coming to earth made it clear that he loves and requires proximity. You know, you can't love someone at a distance. Think of, think of the call you've ever gotten of a loved one who said they were struggling and in trouble and they lived on the east or the west coast, and you're here. It's that kind of love, that kind of proximity that you need to have, or not have, I guess, you want it closer. But. And we often avoid getting close to someone who is far from God, or difficult, or draining, or different. And we usually don't because there's risk involved. You know, we might be rejected. We, they might ask a question about the Bible that we can't answer, and then we'll feel stupid. And what stops us when risk is involved is our own fear. And maybe instead of looking at the risk, we should focus on the reward. You know, each person we find ourselves in close proximity with is a child of God. And, and, God will, and God's will for us is to love one another as he loved us. You know, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you ever notice that there are times in your life where you're in close proximity to or confronted by someone who is draining, difficult, different, whatever. And I, you know, I can remember coming home from work many times saying, it is hard to soar with the turkeys when you're down here, or hard to soar with the eagles when you're down here with the turkeys. You ever have that feeling of being around people? And it just seems like every once in a while, we have that in our lives. But did you ever think, that maybe that's God's design, that God planned for that people to be standing, for that person to be standing right in front of you, that everything he does has a purpose and meaning. You know, <laughs> you're going to find this hard to believe, but growing up, I was a shy child. You can laugh, that's all right. <laughs> it's true, though. And I can tell you that I don't think you ever get over the shyness. You just, 
become more competent as you become an adult. And I lived here in Plainfield for nearly 20 years, and things were so easy because I was involved in Joliet Cares. I was involved in this church. I had friends. I had people who knew me. You know, um, I had a support group. But, you know, 11 months ago, and I love Trish dearly, and we have a great life in West Virginia. I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining, but it is different there. It is much different there. There is, you know, when I think about going out to disciple, I struggle with the idea. You know, I, I just, my natural tendency is to want to stay home, especially when I think about the people who are different and challenging and everything else. But what I've discovered, that if I want to love people the way that Jesus loved me, I have to do some things that aren't necessarily comfortable or natural. Last month, I went out to, I went on a hospital visit with Trish. Now, I think I told you this last time, I, Trish is a superhero. She's in, she works in um, organ donation, and she saves lives. Okay, so she goes and calls on the three local hospitals in the area, and every once in a while I'll go with her. We call it Take Your Husband to Work Day. <laughs> and I'll go sit while she's doing her rounds, I'll go sit in the cafeterias of the hospitals. And cafeterias are great places to go fishing, as we say, because it seemed like every, every cafeteria you have a door that you have to enter in and get your food, and then you can go sit down or you can leave, but you can only leave through one door. So I go sit where they have to leave. And I have my little sign on my computer, on the back of my computer, it says, I'm praying for you. And I'm sitting there reading my Bible, and I'm, every once in a while, I'll look up and say hello to everybody that's walking by. You know, for a shy guy to draw attention to himself is really not natural or comfortable, I can tell you that. Some days I feel like I should be wearing a clown suit. But last time I went out with Trish, one of the nurses was walking by and she pointed to my sign and she says, we need that today. And I said to her, if you need prayer for something, I'd be happy to pray for you. And she turned around and she came back. She said, okay. And she told me about her daughter who was struggling with mental issues. And we had a nice little talk about the whole situation and, and I prayed for her right then and there. I can tell you, there is a Jesus rush when that risk that you take turns into a reward. You know, the apostles said to Jesus in Luke 17, 5 and 6, increase our faith. And he responded, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. A mustard seed is a dot. If you put a dot, a pencil dot on a piece of paper, that's all a mustard seed size is. So that's all the high potency you need. And if you're in close proximity, then it's only a matter of what you're going to say, which brings us to the clear communication piece. And don't you feel that when you're trying to have a gospel conversation or a conversation about Jesus, it feels like this. That's a man chasing a chicken. He says, can I tell you about my Jesus? And the chicken is running as fast as he can the other way. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. Clear communication and talking about our faith in plain, everyday words is essential to maximize our spiritual impact. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. You know, I just have to do it. And if you don't know, 
then be surprised. Because before I go there, I want to provide you with a couple tips. I want you to remember that people matter to God and you are the greeter that will welcome them into God's kingdom. I want you to know, or I want you when you look at people here at church, in a store, at work, or anywhere else, look for the likenesses and not the differences. What makes them desirable to go up and say howdy? And when you do go up and say howdy, compliment them on what you saw. And you don't have to try and save them immediately. I mean, develop a relationship. Think about your friends. You know, how did your friendships happen? Your best friend. Think of your best friend. You know, you probably had something in common and you built on it from there. I got a call the other day from one of my best friends. I've known Gary since he was in third or fourth, fifth grade. And I'm sure we were probably shooting hoops in a playground somewhere. And we started talking about our favorite sports teams. And now some 60 years later, he calls me on the phone and says, hey, how are you doing? Haven't talked to you for a while. You know, think about developing those type of relationships. Mike and I used to, Mike and I used to lead Joliet Cares. We went and had coffee with a group of ministers one time because we were interested in finding volunteers for Joliet Cares because our event was coming up. And one of the pastors told us, he said, you know, I get requests for volunteers all the time. I get a lot of things comes through the mail, email. He says, I ignore most of them. He says, because I don't know who these people are. He says, if we would develop a relationship, he says, God's kingdom is unlimited as to what we could do. And then I want you to be aware of the feelings and make yourself available to talk to people about them. You know, sometimes they may even be good feelings. But you know, when they're not, I have a thing I do. I say, hey, I'm not sure. I quite understand what you're going through, but I've had struggles in my life. And what's helped me get through those struggles is that I believe God has a design for my life. Okay? Upside down. God has a design for my life. Do you believe God has a design for your life? You bet you do. But are you like me and you struggle trying to follow God's design? We all kind of struggle with that, don't we? That's because our sin life gets in the way. And you know, I find the more I sin, the more broken I become. And I, then I try to do things, you know, I feel like I'm wandering in a desert like the Egyptians, like, like the uh, Jews who left Egypt, Egypt, or the Israelites. And then I try to do things, those little squiggly lines up there, I try to do things to get out of my brokenness. You know, maybe I pour myself into my work or I, you know, get involved in my kids' activities and follow them all over. Or I do some activities that lead me on a dangerous path. But, you know, I was lucky in my life because a good friend one time when I was struggling handed me a Bible. And I took that Bible home and I opened it up and I just kind of opened it up randomly and it came to Philippians. And the verse was written by the Apostle Paul and it says, Brothers and sisters, I don't claim to have a hold of it, but one thing I do, I run the race to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And I thought, holy smokes, if, if the Apostle Paul doesn't understand it, I'm in good company. 
But what's the prize he's talking about? So I started reading that, that Bible a little more. And I learned about this thing called the gospel. Unfortunately, I learned that we're all sinners. But you know, God so loved us, even in our sinful ways, that he sent his only son down here to show us what a sinless life looked like, what, what it was like to be a good neighbor, what it was like to love one another. But we all didn't believe him, so we hung him on a cross. And he took our sin and shame with him on that cross, and he died for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we buried him in a tomb. And then some three days later, Jesus came out of that tomb alive. And I found out that if I give up my sinful, broken ways, and I repent and I believe that I will have that eternal life, and I can recover and pursue that life that Jesus had designed for me in the first place. Where are you at on this chart? And is there something I can do that will help you learn the love of God, learn what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus? You know, I mentioned that Mike and I ran Joliet Cares. We led Joliet Cares for 10 years. And I know some of you worked at Joliet Cares, so you know what it is, but if you don't, it was an organization that held an annual event and we provided free goods and services for people in need. Goods and services like free food, free medical screenings, free clothing, etc. And I know we had high potency because we were eager to bring people closer to God. And we, had our, we tra trained our volunteers to be ready to share their salvation story, be ready to pray, carry your favorite Bible verses in your pocket and be ready to share them. And I know we had close proximity because we had a shepherd assigned to each guest and, and family that came into our event. And I know we had clear communication because we also had people at the end when they were checking out that would pray for them and along with the people that shared everything that they had in their pockets to share. And I can tell you we had maximum impact. I, I remember it was in 2013, that year's event, I was asked to take a young lady, young woman, through the event as her shepherd. And after we were done, I had grabbed her groceries and her clothes and everything else she had gathered and was helping her take it to her car. And she told me on the way that, to her car that, that she had a four-year-old son at home who, was, who had special needs. So along with being needy, the challenge of raising a special needs child was in her cards as well. And I put, we walked to her very well-used minivan, I can tell you that, and I put the stuff in her car after she opened the door, and when I stepped out, she gave me a big hug and she said, you don't know what this means to me and my family. And I had the same emotion then, only bigger tears. You know, it was funny. It was funny because I was going to, after the, that year was over, that was our fifth year, I think, we, we did Joliet Cares out of the 10. I was going to walk in later after it was over and tell Mike that I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. I can't do it anymore. I'm quitting. Oh, I can tell you not after that happened. Uh, not only did I, I walked to the end of the parking lot to dry my tears 
before I went back into the building and I got my to-do list out and said, this is what I need to do for next year. And I started writing my list. You know what Mike and I found out is that the people in need who came to our event and received the goods and service got an impact and they were appreciative for what they got. But what we really found out is the maximum impact was gained by the volunteers who actually produced the goods and services. I wish I could tell you all the stories that happened at Joliet Cares over 10 years. They were phenomenal and people were blessed by what had happened to them. Why become a good neighbor is because people matter to God and he wants, to love, wants us to love one another as he loved us. You know, Martin Luther King, in one of his last sermons, he preached the story of the Good Samaritan. And he said, the priest and the Levite walked by, and they asked the question, if, this, if I help this man, what will happen to me? Will I miss my meeting? Will I get my clothes dirty? Will I get blood on them? Whatever. But he said, the Good Samaritan comes by, and he reverses the question, asking, if I don't help this man, what will happen to him? So where are you today? Are you someone who's here looking for a good neighbor who can show you the, the peace and comfort that you get in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you already a believer who may be suffering through a little bit, have a little bit of hard soil, a little bit of rocky soil, a little bit of weedy soil, and you need a good neighbor to help you stir up the dirt and loosen it up or remove the rocks, take away the weeds. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, something I said moved you. <laughs> and, and you want to know what it takes to become a good neighbor. So I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. And as they're coming, I want you to take a look around the room. I want you to ignore the differences and look for the likenesses. I want you to greet one another and pray for one another. I want you to develop relationships that make you highly potent. So when you're in close proximity to someone who's hurting, or you can spread the good news and grow the kingdom of God. This week I challenge you to go be good neighbors and love one another as Jesus loved you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here to, to talk and to talk about being good neighbors. Lord, we know that sometimes we are the hard soil, the rocky soil, the weedy soil. But sometimes we also need to be good neighbors and help others in their times of turmoil and trouble. Lord, we ask that you give us that high potency that we can be that good news and share that good news with others and help them along, that we can have the courage that it takes to get into close proximity and be able to share that, and that we certainly have the best communication to share our testimony. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask you that you help us do everything we can to be the, that good neighbor and help those in need and to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to step over here for a minute if you want to be a good neighbor and come and say, howdy, that's good. I don't, I'll, I'm friendly. I haven't been anybody in West Virginia yet. And, um, and then I think afterwards we have a little a prayer we want to do for the people who are traveling to, uh, to Africa this, to, today and uh, send our blessings along with them.